14. What do you confess when you say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Answer, the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. And what benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, he covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Let's now respond and we'll sing. We'll now read from God's holy word. Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. So that's on page 1,012. Luke 1, starting at verse 26. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even, your, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Children. What is the greatest miracle you can think of? Perhaps your mind goes to the few loaves that Jesus used to feed 5,000. Or perhaps the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Or maybe you think of Genesis 1, how God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Well, in answer to this question, many would say that actually the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the miracle of miracles. 
One author says that the incarnation is the central fact of history and of the church's confession. As you probably know, our time, the, how we count years, is governed around this one fact, this one miracle. The years are counted in relation to the birth of Jesus Christ. All the years before his birth are titled B.C., before Christ, and all the years after it are titled A.D. For instance, 2024, the, or the year of our Lord, 2024, that's how many years the Lord has reigned. But before we dig into the incarnation, into this miracle of miracles, it's good to know what we actually mean by this word. What does it mean to be incarnated? Well, to be incarnated means to, to receive or to get a body. Someone who wasn't human now becomes human. We say that the Son of God became incarnate because before he was only God. But over 2,000 years ago, in time, he took to himself human nature. He became a person like us. And so that's what we mean by incarnation. And so this afternoon, we'll see that the incarnation of Christ is our Lord's greatest miracle for our greatest benefit. And we'll look at this, the incarnation, through four different points. So I added one. The first one will be the problem for those who are taking notes. And then what else is in the liturgy? The problem, the plan, and then the miracle, and then the benefit of the incarnation. You know, something is terribly, really wrong with humanity, with us. You see, God made us good, but something has gone wrong. What it means to be human has become completely twisted, contorted. A Christian song by Jamie Souls, maybe you know of it, it's titled, The Way My Story Goes. In this song, he says, back in the days when the earth was young, hearts grew very cold. Too long away from the one who made them, they could not be bothered. They could not be bothered to acknowledge God, their creator. Instead of worshiping and loving God, generations upon generations, nation upon nation, people upon people, year after year, rejected their creator. You see, hearts became cold. Human hearts became distorted. Our hearts became broken. We have forgotten what it means to be human because we have abandoned the one who made us. Human hearts are sinful. They're twisted, they're deformed, and they're dark. Now we might think to ourselves, you know, I, I trust most of my neighbors. They're good to me. They want what's best for me and others. We all get along fairly well for the most part. And the hearts you are describing, Taylor, don't seem to match the hearts I know. And that may be so. And I'm glad for neighbors that I can trust, that you can trust. But we can at least agree, however, that if we didn't have the civil stability that we do, that the ruthlessness, the viciousness of human hearts 
would begin to show itself a little more. But more importantly, we know that human hearts are, as I described, sinful and twisted. Not because of some secret insight we have, but from the words, the commands, the law of God. You see, God tells us what human hearts were supposed to be. He tells us the shape of the hearts that he created them in. God made human hearts so that they would love him and other humans fully, completely. The sixth commandment says, you shall not murder. And as Jesus explains, if you hate someone in your heart, you commit murder against them. So anyone who has hated another has committed murder. They are a murderer. And who hasn't sensed that hatred rising in their own heart? You might know the feeling your entire body just gets tense, ready to explode. But you see, we were made to love. But instead, our hearts are twisted, deformed, and so they have hatred and anger. And Adam and Eve, they were the first ones to have their hearts darkened and twisted. And so generation after generation of continually producing children and offspring, more and more children were made in their image with twisted, deformed hearts like ours. And so our problem is that we can no longer be who we were meant to be. Humanity can never return to what it once was. It's stuck with a twisted and deformed heart and nature. And when there's a problem, people make a plan to solve it. And the same is the case with our problem, humanity's problem. And the good thing is that Jesus, our Lord, is the one who made a plan. God has a plan to restore our sinful human nature to its original intention, to its original purpose. He was going to do something incredible. You see, God the Father planned to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to become a human just like us. He would become a human, having a human body, a human soul, and He would receive this from a real woman, Mary, the Virgin. And so His body would actually be weak, like ours. It would get sick. It would get tired. His mind would wear out. He would need to sleep. He would need to eat and drink like the rest of us. And so he was fully human. And the plan, though, was to restore, to heal this weak and broken humanity. And first, he would heal it in the Son's humanity, beginning with his human person, his heart. And then he would heal all those who believed in Jesus, heal their hearts and their humanity. And so this was the great plan, a mystery as we learned this morning. It was revealed that a human would restore humanity. But the mystery was that this human would also be God in the flesh. Jesus teaches us a bit about this plan in John 6:38. He says, "For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. God's will, God's plan was that the Son would come down to earth, becoming like us in every respect. Now, things on earth can seem pretty chaotic. You know, there's wars, famines, strife, and some think humanity, we are hopeless. That humans will never change, but we will continue fighting, hating, and so on until we make ourselves extinct or the universe, as they'll say, makes us extinct. The march of time will ride over us. Now others in the world, they think the opposite. They think we can evolve physically, technologically, or spiritually so that we can transcend our human limitations. Our human hearts, they think, can be reshaped by us to healthier, longer-lasting. People think we can become even more fully human if we just come up with a good plan and apply ourselves to that plan. And many people, such as Elon Musk, they devote their lives, their energy, their money to this purpose, to this plan, this pursuit. But we have to know that it is futile because a sinful heart will only produce more sin. You see, Elon Musk, for instance, the richest man on earth, his plan for his wealth is to help humanity survive by becoming a multi-planet species. He has plans already to colonize Mars, and his hope is that humanity will eventually move to other planets to keep humanity alive. But you see the problem, don't you? It's that the human heart, human sin, will follow us to whatever planet we live on. It doesn't matter if we're on Mars, our human hearts are still going to be there, broken, reproducing more and more broken hearts. And so brothers and sisters, don't get caught up in either the world's despair or in the world's plans. Don't become cynical and despair of life, but don't trust in humanity's plans either. Rather, we are called to trust in God's eternal one plan. He's had one since the very beginning. A plan that would fix our problem at the root, our broken and sinful nature. You see, the center of God's plan is Jesus Christ, the Son who took on humanity. And so when the world seems messed up, trust in God's plan in Jesus. When others seem broken beyond any human help, don't despair, don't give up. Remember that God has Jesus Christ and that Christ is central to God's plan to put them back together. When your own heart seems weak, don't despair. Trust your Father in heaven who had you in his mind before you were even born. And he has a plan to make you strong and whole again through Jesus Christ. So first, a problem arises, and then we've seen that a plan has been made by God, and then we sit back and admire our blueprint, right? 
Well, some, some of us probably have that struggle of making plans but never actually following through with them. We don't execute our plan. We don't put it into action. And the world, but the world would be a lot better if everyone just did what they said they were going to do, what they scheduled in their calendars. And I'm sure every boss wishes their employees did the same. But with God, we don't have someone who just sits back. Our Lord isn't idle. God isn't passive. He doesn't say he will do something and then forget about it. And this is central to who God is, his character, that he is faithful to his promises, to his plan. As we read in Luke, God fulfills his plan. The son takes to himself human nature, becoming a fetus and born of the Virgin Mary. This is the great miracle of the incarnation, an astounding work. It's an incomprehensible mystery. But how did our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perform this miracle? Well, we'll look at how the three persons of the Godhead were involved. First, with the work of the Father. In Hebrews 10, verse 5, the Spirit of God tells us, quote, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A body you have prepared for me. Jesus quotes Psalm 40 as his own words, his own prayer to the Father. Jesus says that the Father actually prepared a body for him. Through his sovereign plan, the Father prepared a way for the Son to take on human nature body, and soul. We know this because he he guided generations upon generations until Mary, all in preparation for the incarnation. And this is why we have those genealogies in the beginning of Matthew, the genealogies of Abraham, of Rahab, of David, and Joseph. They're all so important because they show the Father preparing a body for his son. Even after the initial miracle, when Jesus was conceived, the Father continued to knit together, to nurture and to protect Jesus as his body and mind developed, just as the psalmist says in Psalm 139. And so that we see that the Father has providentially prepared a body for Christ, a seed from Eve, Thousands and thousands of years it took. That's how long the Lord was preparing this body. But finally, it was time for the great miracle, God in the flesh. And the son's role was to offer himself up for this big task. You see, the son decided to come down, to take the form of a servant, a creature, as Philippians 2, 7 says, The son was like a paratrooper. He had to make the jump and come down in the midst of enemy territory. And in the miracle of the incarnation, Jesus took the jump. And more than that, he did so by taking our small, frail, and creaturely nature. But it was the Spirit, the Spirit who powerfully worked 
and performed the miracle. We read from Luke 1, verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In creation, in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. But in this greater work, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and miraculously brought together the divine nature of the Son and the human nature of Mary and brought them together in Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who eternally reigned with the Father, He received a nature just like you. Our God is wonderful. Our God is powerful. Who can fully comprehend Him and His works? Who could comprehend this mystery of the Incarnation? I don't want any of us leaving thinking that we could just put God in our pockets. He's not just a pet that people have to make them feel less lonely in their homes. We have to be humble before the majesty of the triune God and also before this incredible miracle. And also see His immense love for you. God saw your brokenness. He saw your sinful heart. And yet He decided to love you. He loved you despite of it all. He loved you so much that He did and performed this miracle to save you, to heal you. This morning we read about the mystery. And the incarnation is at the heart of this mystery. One theologian writes that this mystery has sustained and always will sustain the church, even into eternity. So a question to ask yourself is, does this mystery sustain you? Do you feed upon the mystery that the Son of God took our humanity, our flesh, not just for 30 years on earth, but for all of eternity? That He will be a human forever while also being God? Do you meditate on the fact that we will see a human someone truly human with our own eyes, but that we could point to them and say without lying, you are my God. You are infinite. You are eternal. You are unchangeable in being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Well, with Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, we can. He was not only God, but also a human. One of us in every respect, yet without sin. Yet without sin. 
That's such an important part. He was born without sin. Because he was born by the power of the Spirit of God. The great miracle. You see, God was executing his plan in order to to rid our human nature of sin and brokenness. Jesus was the first of a new humanity, a new creation that God was bringing about. Humanity as it was supposed to be, free from sin. And Jesus would remain free from sin. His entire person would be free from sin, not just in action, but even in thought and even in inclination. His eyes, his heart, never twisted to the left or to the right. He never thought to himself, oh, but what would it be like to give in just a little? He never entertained a single temptation. He always resisted the tempter, Satan. Yet in his humanity, Despite all this, Jesus would take your place. He would be punished for your sins. Romans 8, verses 3 to 4 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but now live according to the Spirit. God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Our flesh, our broken, cold hearts could not keep the law. Our hearts were destined on a road to condemnation. But Jesus stepped in our place in the middle of the road. He took our human nature so that the entire full punishment, the full curse, would come crashing down upon Him. A mountain slide was coming towards us. But he pushes us out of the way and he bears it fully upon himself. And he did so by the power of his divine nature, supporting, upholding his weak human nature. So that even unto death, all the weight of our sins came on him. All of it. Our brokenness was dealt with. Completely. This is a great comfort for you, for us. That our brokenness, our sinful inclinations, you know, the way that our hearts just keep stumbling over and over and over again into hate of God and of others, all that sin is covered by Christ. No longer does God look at us as deformed humans, as hateful creatures, But he looks at us as whole, as complete, as loving and righteous. 
He looks at you and he sees the righteousness, the sinlessness, the sinless human nature of Jesus Christ, his son. He sees the perfect humanity of our Lord. The Father loved you even in your sin by sending the Son to become a man to save you. You can know that God, the Father, Son, and Spirit love you unreservedly because of this incredible miracle. He did this for His glory and for your benefit. Our brokenness was completely dealt with. But our human nature, even though we are now declared righteous, He didn't leave it in weakness. Our Lord is making our human nature strong again. And He does so first with Jesus, the man who is the first human to be who we were supposed to be, a full and complete human with a warm loving heart without any brokenness. And by faith in Christ, we too are being made more and more like this true humanity. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans 8, in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. In this text, the flesh represents our broken humanity, our deformed hearts. But now, how do we live? We live according to the Spirit, the new nature. Our hearts are being warmed by faith in God, and they're being warmed to love Him and, more, and our neighbors more and more, to truly love them for the first time. You see, a new humanity is awakening in us by the power of the Spirit. A new, true, good, and everlasting humanity. One that won't just disappear after 60 or 80 years on earth, but one that will live forever with God. And the only way that this new humanity can exist in us, in our neighbors, is by being united to the first human, Jesus Christ, the first true human. This means that we are called to put to death our sinful ways, to straighten out what was crooked in our lives and in our hearts. Where sin lives in our hearts, we must replace it with love, and with truth. And this can only be done by seeking the Spirit. Our hearts must become like Christ's heart. And so no longer let, no longer let yourself be dominated by your sinful passions, your lusts, your sinful inclinations. Rather, let yourself be ruled by the Spirit of God and truth. As we sang in the song about the incarnation, although I didn't think I don't think we sang this verse, but in the sixth verse, the last verse, 
we, we would have sung this following quote, tread in his steps. That's Christ's steps. Tread in Christ's steps, assisted by his grace, till our imperfect state God doth replace. Our old nature, our old humanity must be put to death and now be conformed to the new creation, the new humanity of Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, we know that there is something wrong with humanity. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with me. We aren't, supposed to, we aren't who we are supposed to be. And that's a great problem that people, not just here but everywhere in the world, the people need to know. They need to hear of this and be convicted that things aren't right with them. But they also need to hear what, that God has an eternal plan to deal with this problem. In his love for humanity, he has a plan to restore our human nature to its rightful and intended place. And people need to know, we need to grasp that God executed this plan in history. It's a verifiable reality. It's the center of all history, the miracle of the Son's incarnation the new and first truly human, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's only because of Jesus that we can become human. It's only because he became human that he could die on the cross and deal with our sinfulness. And he is also remaking and reshaping his followers by the Spirit into this humanity. And so as I quoted earlier, this great miracle, this mystery has sustained and may it always sustain us here in Maranatha. May we be sustained, may we delight in, may we love God for his greatest miracle. Amen. Let's now sing from our other handout song. How bright appears the morning star. So this one's also about the incarnation. <laughs>